Hi everyone and welcome back to the Making Milestones podcast. Today's podcast episode I'm hoping will help bring people some level of peace when it comes to trying to make the best decisions for your horses because I think that this is a really important topic. I know that there's a lot of guilt associated with bettering your horsemanship and trying to do right by your horse as well as like a lot of guilt associated with when we read modern day horse studies and trends and see care practices that we engage in being criticized by equine scientists, veterinarians, etc. So the welfare movement can cause a lot of stress to the people and it can also cause a lot of guilt. And oftentimes for some people that guilt will lead to denial. They'd rather deny the information itself than have to cope with the guilt of accepting its relevancy. And that's also a problem because it doesn't allow you to hold yourself accountable and allow for any room of improvement. So I wanted to talk about this because I think that there is this misconception that if you do wrong by your horse in any capacity, that you're a terrible and bad person who doesn't love them. And I think that's something that we need to kind of throw out the window because I don't think there's very many people who are in the horse world that don't love their horses. I think that most people get into this world because they love horses because it's not the most convenient place to be if you don't love horses. With that said, I think that over time that love can change and become a lot more selfish. And I also think that when we love something, our responsibility needs to be trying to prioritize doing what's best for them and not letting our selfish, ego-driven ideals get in the way. So. While I do think most people love their horses, that love doesn't guarantee that you're doing right by them. It doesn't guarantee that you're making the best decisions for their welfare. It doesn't guarantee that you can never do something out of being naive and not knowing better. So while you can love for your horse, you can love your horse, it doesn't guarantee that you're never going to cause them harm. So I think that narrative is inherently flawed because it allows people to try to evade accountability for things that they do that might be damaging to their horse's welfare under the basis of saying that they love their horse and that they wouldn't do anything to cause them harm. And I think that the way we need to kind of flip that phrase on its head is to go, I love my horse and I wouldn't knowingly do anything to harm them. But you can harm them unknowingly and you can also harm them by doing things that you might become aware of their harm, but then deny the validity of that awareness. So love doesn't disqualify you from potentially harming your horse or anyone else in your life for that matter like how many of us have love for our friends our families our significant others and we still can end up hurting them whether we intend to or not and oftentimes that does happen there's very few situations where you can be in any type of relationship with someone long term without causing them any amount of harm because we can harm others when we get so caught up in our own lives that we don't necessarily realize how our actions may impact others. So I think we need to start looking at it that way. Loving someone and really wanting them in your life and valuing their presence doesn't mean that you're immune to causing them harm. And this is what we need to look at when we're discussing the welfare movement because when people try to evade the possibility of causing harm because they really love their horse and want to do what's best for them. It doesn't allow them to rightfully accept accountability that would potentially allow them to improve their practices and do better by their horse. So that accountability and that awareness is super, super important to develop. And I think that the fear of being perceived as someone who doesn't care about their horse leads people to going to the comfort of denial of fact and denial of research to try to basically show others like hey like that's not true I wouldn't do that like if it caused harm I wouldn't do that so therefore it doesn't cause harm and 
then we can't improve and we can't grow. And it also is one of like the leading reasons people deny scientific research. And it's also perpetuated by trainers and upper level professionals doing essentially the same thing where they deny the validity of information that makes them uncomfortable because they're not ready to accept it. And accepting it would mean having to either change their practices to do better by their horse or having to continue doing the problematic practices while being aware of the damage that it causes to their horse. So their alternative is denying the fact that it causes damage because then they can continue to engage in those practices and do so without the same level of guilt that would come with admitting the damage they're doing and continuing to do it anyways, or the same level of difficulty that would be altering the way you go about doing things with your horse. So I think that this is a really relevant topic for most people because this is something that I really struggled with when I was really going through massive changes in my horsemanship. And there's definitely a big grieving process involved because it is a huge change and it is very difficult. And it is really hard on your mental health to acknowledge the harm you caused unintentionally. But I think it's an important and empowering thing to do and it also allows you to start to do better by your horse in the long run. So we're going to get into that big discussion, uh, so stay tuned and listen up. But first, I need to plug some of my stuff because, you know, a girl's got to eat, a girl's got to pay bills, a girl's got to replace her brand new truck's transmission when it breaks down as a five-year-old truck. And yes, I am bitter about that, and I'm going to be bitter probably forever. Anyways, yeah, my truck's transmission needs to be replaced, so FML. Anyways, we're not going to go into that because I will spiral. <laughs> but... If you want to help support the podcast or you want to hear me talk about more things, horse training, and get help on training tutorials to start applying positive reinforcement and all that jazz, you can do so by subscribing to my Patreon channel, which is p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com slash s-d-equus, s-d-e-q-u-u-s. And you can subscribe for as little as $7.50 a month, like $7.50 per month, to access all the tutorials. I just uploaded a trailer loading tutorial with the Mustangs and a mounting block tutorial with a previously abused horse. And there's tons of other tutorials on there, so that's the best way to access training help from me if that is what you're interested in. We also do Q&As for patrons where they can ask me questions that are either generalized questions about their horses, etc., so there's a lot of great stuff on there. I would highly recommend that if you're looking for more insight on how I go about doing things and want more in-depth videos because that's where I put all of my long videos now. Also, I have an online store called Shop Milestone Equestrian. So the website is Shop Milestone EQ, like Shop Milestone Eck, Shop Milestone EQ.com. And you can shop there for bitless bridles, uh, anatomical bitted bridles, lots of different equestrian apparel, including new summer riding leggings, new summer riding shirts, turn out your damn horses, athletic shirts, uh, all sorts of different stuff. It's currently on 25% off the whole store minimum, discount auto applied at checkout. There's some clearance items up to 80% off though, and then you'll get an additional 25% off at the checkout on all of those. So really good sale, and the proceeds will go towards helping me survive my brand new truck deciding to not act brand new. And also for my trip to Paris. So for those of you who don't know, I'm going to Paris in, oh my god, two weeks. I'm panicking. Okay, two weeks to speak at an equine welfare conference um, on September 9th and 10th. I'm going a little bit early because I'm going to be riding with a very famous YouTuber that I'm sure all of you know. Um, so I'm really excited about that. So I'm going to be doing that for a few days, speaking at a welfare conference. And then coming back home to North America. And so I'm raising money for that. I have webinars on my website. And 
you can do that at milestoneequestrian.ca if you go to the training help like in my store uh, you can purchase previously recorded webinars for that and you can also check out the training consults that i offer i'm doing mini training and behavioral consults if you want to kind of pick my brain about anything training related i also just do donations if you want to go to paypal.me milestone equestrian and yeah you can just do all that and i really appreciate any and all help so thank you again for everyone's help and support even just listening to the podcast sharing it reusing the audio in some of your posts so people can listen to it and then crediting me fantastic sharing any of my videos watching my videos all of it really helps because it just helps me continue building my brand it's no easy feat trying to do what i'm doing at like my young age especially when it's all just like my money going into it in towards it so it's pretty stressful especially when you get unexpected things like the truck i promise i'm gonna stop bringing that up but i as you can sure i'm as i'm sure you can tell i'm pretty choked about it um so i really appreciate everyone's help and support i honestly couldn't do that without you so it's so much appreciated but we're gonna just jump right into the podcast again oh also sorry if you want to access the training help and support it's on milestoneequestrian.ca um so you can do that um by checking out that website anyways let's just jump right back into it so yeah the equine welfare movement is something that demands change from everyone and unfortunately that change often requires us to change what our goals may be in the horse world or at least change our path towards those goals so that involves a grieving process like i had a lot of show related goals like moving up the levels jumping big jumps and getting my horse to get to a place in the show circuit that i wanted him to be in and when i started to be more conscious of equine behavior and the level of stress that he was displaying it kind of forced me to rewrite those goals i had to reconsider the way i was going to go about things and i had to alter my path there and slow it down and there was a grieving process involved for that because it's not something that i wanted to do initially i denied it for a very long time because i didn't want to admit to the need for change and it was just a very difficult thing to admit to and the more i started to read up on horse behavior and realize the damage that i had done even in previous years with horses that i hadn't owned anymore and the stress signals they exhibited or the lack of species appropriate care that i provided for them i felt sad because i was way more aware of the damage that it caused and i was able to look directly at behaviors that those horses showed me and link them to the way that i trained and cared for them and it made me sad because that wasn't my intention like i i did love all those horses and i didn't want to cause them distress and like the whole time i've owned milo i've loved him but i haven't always done the best by him i haven't always cared for him in the way that he's needed and i've ignored his voice a lot over the years and it hasn't been in his best interest so coming to terms with that meant admitting that despite my efforts to not do that i still ended up doing it anyways and that I was in denial and I was engaging in selfish decision making for a very long time because the act of changing and accepting information that conflicted with my views was too difficult for me to process at that point. With that said, it doesn't mean that anything I did to horses was like deliberately malicious and with the purpose of causing them pain or discomfort out of cold blood. Even when I was taught to hit horses and get after them and be really rough with them when I was young, I wasn't doing it out of the desire to cause horses pain maliciously and be like, I want to harm this horse, I want to scare this horse, I want to make this horse afraid of me and I want to cause them pain. That's not why I was going about doing it. 
I did it because I was taught that that was the way to fix unwanted behaviors and that for my safety and the horses, that's the way I had to go about it. And I was also told by a lot of professionals that what I was doing didn't cause them harm, that they had thick skin, that other horses would be way more rough with them and that it was fine. So over repetition of being told these things, I started to tune out what I was actually doing and not view it as being a problem because so many people told me it wasn't one. So even when I was getting really rough and I definitively was taking my frustration out on horses, I didn't always view it that way. I didn't view it that way all the time. It was something that was kind of trained out of me by other people in the industry. And it allowed me to justify what I was doing way more and kind of shrug off my behavior and not have a problem with how rough I was with horses because I saw it around me, first of all. A lot of other people normalized the same behaviors and desensitized me to them. And I didn't know an alternative of handling unwanted, dangerous behavior without doing that. So it was, in my view at the time, my only option. And I think that even during those times, like there was a certain level of discomfort that I kind of pushed down and away from myself while I was engaging in really harsh training methods because like I got frustrated with horses a lot easier because I didn't have a whole lot of solutions to fix problem behavior other than hitting them and it never actually really resulted in lasting change where it resolved the behaviors long term because all it did was suppress them. That's what punishment does. And so I was frustrated because I was perpetually having to deal with these things that scared me and bothered me and that I didn't know how to fix. So. It was a really weird place to be because I didn't really, I wasn't able to like find the source of that frustration and that discomfort and that anxiety and upset that I felt because a lot of it was actually stemming from actions that I was deliberately engaging in, but I didn't realize why I was feeling that way. And I think that when most of us get into the horse world, especially like when we're young, horse loving kids, like we get into it because we love horses. We just want to hang out with them. We don't have the goals and the priorities that we eventually are trained to have. Like, kids who want to get into horses just want to do it because they love horses and they want to hang out with them. They don't do it because they have big show dreams and they want to just, like, immediately go into the A circuit and start riding and winning all the time, even if it's done at their horse's expense. That's not what they want. The priority is just enjoying the horses. And when you first get into it, you typically don't even really care about riding that much. Like, you want to learn how to ride, but it's not your main priority. You want to just learn how to, like, bond with and enjoy the horses. And eventually that is kind of trained out of us because we're taught to prioritize all of the wrong things and riding becomes such a big priority that we don't prioritize things like groundwork that might help our horses in other situations where they are stressed so it's it's interesting because it's something that we don't go into the horse world typically believing but over time it's conditioned into us and then when we had that many years of conditioning to be that way when someone brings up something that conflicts with what we've been taught and essentially says that we've been doing something harmful to our horses, it's a really difficult thing to come to terms with and we want to push back and fight back against it and deny the validity of it and be like, no, that's not true because it would mean admitting all the wrongs that you've done, which is something that's very difficult to do and very few people want to do it. The other flip side of this that I think needs to be acknowledged is that a lot of us have trauma associated with how we've been taught, whether you want to admit to it or not. When you initially try to resist hitting horses or being rough with them or question the status quo in any capacity, trainers oftentimes will make you feel uncomfortable for doing so because they don't know how to answer your questions or your statements. And they will essentially break you out of questioning things by making you so uncomfortable that you stop asking and you just do as they say. And 
there's a lot of toxic behavior in Barnes as well that essentially teaches us to not question, to just do as we're told, not question, and just model the behavior of the professionals in front of us and just assume that professionals are always knowing and that they never make mistakes. And there's trauma associated with that, whether we want to admit to it or not. Like, I had a lot of anxiety that stemmed from how I was brought up in the horse world. I was not necessarily encouraged to ask questions, to think critically, to sway from the status quo, to try to question why we went about doing things the way that we did. And I learned to kind of just do as I was told and not question anything as a result. And there was trauma associated with that because I had gotten humiliated by trainers. I had gotten really degrading, pointed, harsh comments that made me feel sad and uncomfortable and gave me anxiety lasting over periods of time. And while I tried to ignore the damage that that did, it was just kind of bottling up and suppressing anxiety. And also, on top of that, I wasn't necessarily learning actual tools and skill sets of how to problem solve and address behaviors that scared me in horses. I was just learned how to be reactive. Like, people would tell me, oh, if your horse bites you, smack them. If your horse does something dangerous, get after them, don't let them get away with it. But they never really told me how to avoid that happening in the first place and how to prevent those behaviors from reoccurring perpetually. I was just how to taught how to react to things, which made me very reliant on having instructors around all the time because I didn't know how to problem solve. I just know I knew how to be reactive. And sometimes that reaction made things worse. It didn't necessarily always solve the problems. Oftentimes it made things worse before it actually helped, which was a huge source of frustration because then you can also have trainers that then blame you for your horse's reaction to something that they trained you to do. And then the fault is always lying with you, even though the fault is in how they've taught you to handle situations. And it leads you to being very hard on yourself. So since all of us are taught to like value ourselves based off of how good of a rider people think we are and like how good we are to our horses and whether or not horses love us or not, um, it can be really hard to kind of be fed information that conflicts with that. So what I want to say in this podcast is that you can very much love your horse and want what's best with them while making mistakes that cause them direct harm. It doesn't disqualify you from causing them harm. Love for your horse doesn't mean that you will never make the wrong decision and you'll never make mistakes that hurt them. And even when you're like fully committed to the welfare movement and you're trying to better all of your practices, you're still going to make mistakes that at times may damage welfare. I think the way we need to look at it is the extent to which we're damaging welfare, whether or not we continue to repeat those mistakes again and again and again, and how accountable we hold ourselves. If you're making excuses for yourself to engage in things that are damaging to your horse again and again and again, then you're probably not looking to improve on them. And then that's the problem. It's not the fact that you've made mistakes. It's the fact that you're committed to repeating those mistakes. And so that's how we kind of need to change our perspective. We can't expect ourselves to be so perfect that we never, ever make our horses feel bad or stress them out or cause them potential pain. Like, obviously, that can be the goal is to keep them as low stress and pain-free as possible. But it's not going to always be possible to guarantee that. So the goal should be to reduce the harm we cause as much as possible and hold ourselves accountable so that we don't replicate problem behaviors again and again and again. And also acknowledge the fact that you can still very much love your horse, but you can also still do wrong by them. And it's even harder because there's so much misinformation in the horse world. Like we're taught to do things that we're taught are harmless and don't bother the horse and that horses even might like. Like a lot of people are taught how much their horse will love a bit when really the reason why the horse is softer in that bit immediately is because the bit is really harsh. 
and they're taught to have this skewed view of how it works and why their horse is responding in the way that it is that leads them then to be in conflict when they're told otherwise because they don't know what to believe and it's a lot easier and more comfortable to go with what you were originally taught because it doesn't involve any accountability acceptance of wrong and change in behavior on your part you can continue going about doing things the way that you always had and not have to own up to the fact that it might be causing harm if you just deny what people say so it's really important to kind of be gentle with ourselves throughout the process of getting better, but also be mindful of holding ourselves accountable. Like, loving your horse doesn't mean you're infallible and will never wrong them. And I think part of really, really loving your horse and wanting to do what's best by them oftentimes will mean doing the hard work that is handling the discomfort that you feel when you're met with conflicting information that questions things that you have done and enabled and that you've been taught were not problems. So. First of all, you need to learn how to critically think so that you can determine how credible of a source something is. And I would really encourage people when you're doing that to be mindful of the fact that oftentimes we want to go with what we find is most comfortable. So critical thinking involves going with what information is the most proven and credible regardless of how it makes us feel. And if we're always erring on the side of our comfort level, we're probably not actually looking for the most credible source. We're probably looking for what information confirms our beliefs, which is a logical fallacy called confirmation bias. And if we're doing that, then it's very, very hard to improve and grow as an equestrian. So what we need to do is one, become open to credible information, even if it criticizes what we're doing. And two, be open to holding ourselves accountable if we are met with information that questions something that we've engaged in and questions it with powerful evidence behind it, especially if we wanna do right by our horses. Keep in mind that the discomfort we feel by coming across information that questions industry practices that are widely participated in, even when they cause harm, the discomfort that causes us is so minor compared to the discomfort that horses have to deal with on a regular basis when they're not having their needs met and when they're being forced into training methods and equipment that cause them high levels of stress because they don't have the same voice or choice that we do. Ultimately, we are the ones that choose to go to the barn every day. We are the ones that choose to ride and have horses. We are the ones that make the choice of what classes we're going to enter them in. Even if the trainer kind of influences that decision, you ultimately sign the papers and choose to go to the show and pay for it. Horses don't have that same level of choice. So the discomfort we feel, I think, is a cost that we owe horses. And when we truly love an animal and want what's best for them, we need to be willing to deal with that discomfort, even if it sucks, even if it involves questioning what we've always known and potentially having to engage in massive change. And obviously for some, like the, like even for people who really want to do what, right by their horse and want to be committed to making the best decisions, sometimes the acceptance of that information takes time and actually enacting the changes will take time. It's not like an immediate snap of your fingers, you just do the right thing. There's a learning and unlearning process. When you've done something quote unquote the wrong way for so long, it takes practice and repetition to undo that learned behavior that makes you like divert to doing what you've always known. It's really hard to undo things that you've been taught to do if they've been like your go-to thing when your horse doesn't do what you ask or your go-to means of fixing an unwanted behavior. So it takes practice and repetition to undo that and making mistakes during that process isn't an indicator that you don't love your horse, it's just how the brain works. 
the most important thing is to hold yourself accountable. If you notice yourself becoming frustrated and losing your patience with your horse, the earlier and earlier you can catch yourself when that starts to happen, the more easy you're going to have time, the more easy of a time you're going to have changing. So if you get frustrated and you take out your frustration on your horse and you hit them, your goal should be to catch it sooner so you don't escalate to the point of hitting them. And if you do, to hold yourself accountable and go, that was the wrong thing to do. That was my fault. My horse was confused, frustrated, in pain, stressed, anxious, etc. And that's why they reacted that way. And I did not help the situation. Hold yourself accountable. Because we have an industry full of enablers and people who enable toxic behaviors and problematic training practices. So it's very easy to get caught up in that mindset. I would say it's actually easier to become caught up in that mindset by far than it is to get caught up in the whole welfare first mindset because there are more people engaging in the common industry practices even when they're damaging than there are people that are accepting science-based training methods at this point. So it takes work to undo that, but it starts with holding yourself accountable. And when we really love our horses, that accountability is something we owe to them. And it's how you become a better caretaker and horse person. The other thing that I think that people need to take away during the process of altering your training methods is that doing things the right way and doing things that value your horse's autonomy and well-being more isn't necessarily going to be the fast way. Oftentimes it's not fast. It takes time to build a foundation of trust and to undo problem behaviors that were caused by stress, discomfort, pain, and otherwise negative training practices. And it takes time to undo all that. So when you're rebuilding a new foundation, you shouldn't necessarily be expecting to see big changes in a single training session, especially if you've grown used to training horses in a way where you can just force them to do things. So you need to be patient. If you're expecting instantaneous results and you're going to use that instant result as a means of measuring how successful doing things the more ethical way is, then you're missing the mark because the purpose of ethics and doing what's best for our horses isn't about getting to our goals in the same time frame. It's about reframing our thinking and reevaluating our goals and asking ourselves how fair they are to the horse. A common statement that I see people make when we're talking about ethical training methods is asking like whether or not it's possible to train a horse to the upper levels with said ethical training methods. Primarily, this is directed at positive reinforcement trainers like, oh, well, let's see you train a Grand Prix dressage horse to that level. I think it's possible to train most, if not all, of the Grand Prix dressage mo movements positive reinforcement. It would just take more time because... Again, when you're valuing the horse's ability to consent and choose to engage in the practice, you're reliant on their choice to do so, and you have to motivate them to want to do so. And especially when you're doing really high-energy tasks that are physically difficult, in addition to building the muscular endurance for them to do it, you also have to slowly shape the behavior in such a way that they have incentive to want to do something that difficult for the reward that you're giving them, which involves a very slow shaping process. So it'll take longer, and a lot of people don't like that length in time. However, on the flip side, I think what we should look at is why are we asking whether or not it is possible to train to a certain level in competition if the alternative is unethical? If there isn't more ethical way of doing things with horses and it involves shifting how we view competition, that's what we should do. The fixation shouldn't be on how we can still do things exactly how we want, generally speaking, at the same time frame and not altering competition to suit horses more. We should be changing the judging and training skills to be more suited to horse welfare 
regardless of how it impacts us. The fixation shouldn't be on how to keep things the way they are, even if it's to the detriment of the horse. So if we find ourselves doing that, then we need to ask ourselves, why are we so fixated on getting to that end goal that we don't care how we go about achieving it? And I think that's one of the main problems we see in the competition world where people are so caught up in continuing to do things the way that they want to that they don't want to consider alternatives if they can't see an immediate result or an immediate path to getting what they want. On top of that, what we have to consider is our level of understanding of how to apply a certain method doesn't equate to how it is properly used. A lot of people who do not use positive reinforcement cannot fathom how you teach tactile cues or like pressure-based signals using positive reinforcement and therefore they do not believe that it's possible and then they try to go to positive reinforcement trainers and use this as a gotcha and be like oh yeah well like let's see you train a horse with no pressure or, like how do you train a horse to go to a frame how do you train a horse to go up all the levels of dressage then if it's so possible with positive reinforcement and then they're asking these people to spend free time basically writing an entire training program with them to prove to them that these methods are able to be used at that level rather than doing the homework themselves to learn how to apply such methods and that is also inherently flawed if we're constantly looking for outs of doing things in a more ethical way and we're constantly looking to poke holes in methods that seek to make the horse more comfortable and willing then our priorities are not with the horse they're with our own personal views and trying to justify the way we want to do things and also we have to look at it from the standpoint of most people wouldn't go up to a trainer that is training traditionally and be like i want you to write me a whole training program for my young horse to teach me how to produce them to the grand prix level and i want you to do it for free they would know that it's wrong to do but for whatever reason it's viewed as more acceptable to do that to people who are going against the status quo and i find that really interesting because their time is valued less if you're not doing things the way everyone else does them you're viewed as less valuable and people view it as your duty to provide them with free hours on your part to prove to them why your method is something that they should consider rather than looking at it from within and going do i want to put the time into learning this because also as someone who's put a lot of time into free education a lot of the people who do that don't even bother looking at the studies and resources that i bring up to them um so it's rather frustrating to one have people expect me to give them that much of my free time and two expect them to do it for free to me to do it for free and then three not even dedicate the time that's involved in learning it when you're relearning an entire new means of reinforcing horses for training and also like taking care of them in general it takes time it's something that you have to be committed to and that you can't just like expect other people to do the work for you so if you find yourself doing that then you need to question your commitment to doing things the right way and whether or not you're actually invested in improving your horsemanship for the benefit of your horse if your priority is in people proving to you why you should change the way you go about things rather than doing it for your horse because it's supposed to be better for them and it is hard like i'm not going to deny the fact that it's difficult because like i had to alter a lot of my horse show goals i thought years ago that i'd be bringing up banksy way quicker than i have been and i thought that i'd be doing more with milo at this point too but i've had to alter my goals in accordance with what i feel is fair to them and also what is best for my mental well-being because i was like completely burning myself out before by going at such a fast rate and trying to get to the end goal so quickly that I just like I couldn't do it anymore and then the more burnt out I became with training horses and trying to find time with my for my horses amongst clients the less able I was to react in a fair way to the horses and the more likely I was to get frustrated which inevitably damaged my ability to train well so I had to kind of 
take a little bit of a break and slow the heck down to kind of reevaluate and let myself rest. And if I'm being honest, I'm still in a period where I am resting and repairing from burnout. Like it's going to be a little while because I burnt myself out for so many years and I'm still refinding the passion that I have with horses and refinding the enjoyment that I have of it while still looking for rest days and doing other things that I find valuable and exciting and not beating myself up as much for not dedicating as much time to horses because I used to be really hard on myself anytime I missed a training session or if something didn't go my way in a training session and it robbed me of the joy that was horse training and those were all learned behaviors that I had been taught from previous instructors as well as the expectations of people online because before I used to just enjoy being around horses when I was a kid I would spend hours at the barn just hanging out with them it wasn't because I had a, a goal or a destination it was because I just enjoyed spending time with them and the older I've gotten the more fixated on a goal and a destination I've, got, I've been rather than just enjoying the journey of bonding with and building a relationship with my horses so I've kind of been trying to refine that youthfulness and like how I initially was towards horses and just enjoying spending time with them even if there's no motive to have a certain outcome or to train them something because the more I've done that even if we're not always doing training sessions my horses perform better when they're happier and they're more able to willingly engage in training sessions and when I do even if I'm doing less training sessions if they're more quality the outcome is a lot better the horses enjoy it more and I just have better results so quality over quantity is the way I think we should start to view things is you're better off having more quality training sessions that your horse enjoys and having you be happier and enjoying it more than you are having more sessions but less quality so we need to kind of reframe our thinking with regards to that the other aspect of this when we're discussing horse welfare is the management there's a lot of management principles with how we care for horses that are not fair to the horses and go against what is best for the horse and we have to kind of reevaluate um, how we go about doing things like that so for example with stalling horses that's a very common care practice that is super normalized in the horse world and it's something that we need to start to denormalize because stalls are for people they're not for horses stalls are for our benefit they convenience people because you have a place that you can put your horse in feed them separately go and get them and have them stay cleaner and have things be much more structured and clean and tidy in a boarding facility. It also gives the illusion of more safety towards horses. People believe that stalling your horse will keep them safer from injury when that's not really true, but that's a common belief system in the horse world. But stalls are for human convenience. They were never made for horse well-being. And people will argue with me on this, I'm sure, but like, for example, shelter is a necessary aspect of horse care. Horses do need shelter, that is correct. But stalls are not the only way to provide shelter. Your horse doesn't need to be confined in the, confined in the actual shelter with no escape in order to be able to seek shelter. If we started to build boarding facilities in the sense where all stalls were attached to paddocks with an open door, or we started to just do shelters in larger plots of land or on track systems, we would see a huge improvement in equine welfare. Stalls are for human convenience, and they increase the risk of negative welfare in horses massively. They increase the risk of colic massively. They increase the risk of ulcers. They increase the risk of other digestive issues. They increase the risk of circulatory issues, hoof issues, muscular issues. Horses who are stalled more tend to be at more risk of soft tissue injury because they're standing around all day, not using their bodies, and then they're being asked to exercise 
by their riders. So there's a lot of problems associated with stalling in addition to the fact that they don't allow horses to practice natural behaviors to the extent that is healthy for them and oftentimes result in complete isolation unless they have half walls or bars between the stalls where horses can interact with one another. And those are getting at least a little bit more common, but it's still very common to see boarding barns that have full boarded up walls where horses cannot see or touch each other, which is unacceptable. And People who make the effort to kind of alter their management practices and put horses in more species-appropriate management will see the difference that it makes for their horse's behavior and training because it is massive. And once you see it, it's really hard to go back and to try to unsee it because it's just so obvious. For certain horses, there might be more of an adjustment period and you might need to counter-condition anxious behaviors that they learn from being in a disordered and dysfunctional environment. So for example, horses who are aggressive to other horses because they have poor social skills. Horses who run and pace the fence line when they're turned out because they're so used to being in a low stimulation environment and then they're put out in the highly stimulating environment that is the outdoors and they just can't cope with it. That's not an indicator that you should just go back to what is easy for you. It's an indicator that they need conditioning to undo the damage that they've sustained from being in an inadequate environment and that takes time. So. What we need to do is we need to kind of reframe our thinking and consider whether or not the decisions we're doing are actually for the best interest of our horse or if they're for the convenience of us. Because when we see issues with horses getting introduced to turnout and they're stressed and we worry about them getting injured and thereby not being able to be ridden by us, that's a decision that's primarily led by our anxiety of keeping them in work. And there are ways around that. The answer isn't putting your horse in a situation where they're going to be unhappy and unfulfilled and unable to engage in natural behaviors. It's trying to undo the stress that has been resulted in because of the inadequate care. And that's how we need to reframe our thinking. Taking the easy way out to serve our personal benefits and lessen the workload on our part is not the right thing to do, especially when we've deliberately participated in depriving our horse from necessary care practices for a number of years. Whether or not that was well-intentioned or not doesn't really matter. It's if we do that, we owe the horse our complete support in trying to fix those behaviors. And it can be difficult. Counter-conditioning stress behaviors that stem from stalling can take time. It's not necessarily going to be an immediate fix, but so long as you're committed to trying to fix it so your horse can learn how to enjoy turnout calmly and not be reliant on being in a low stimulation, isolated environment in order to relax. It'll benefit them in the long run. The answer isn't just putting them out there and having them tough it out, especially if they're at risk of injuring themselves because they're so stressed, but it's about solely conditioning them to be able to cope with it. And the way I like to explain this is that if a horse has a problem under saddle, like for example, they refuse fences or they become arena sour and they do not want to go in the arena and they refuse to go. Riders will dedicate time to fixing those behaviors because they deliberately inconvenience what the rider wants to do for the horse. So if we're willing to put time into fixing unwanted behaviors that the horse shows dislike of whatever task we are asking it to do and tries to avoid doing such task, then we should be willing to put equally, if not more, effort into fixing behaviors that deprive the horse of the ability to enjoy their regular life. And if we're not, then we need to look at how selfish that is. If we're willing to fix behaviors that benefit us as a rider and serve no real benefit to the horse other than for their use for us, but not put the effort into fixing behaviors that cause the horse to have a lowered quality of life, then our decision making isn't about the love for the horse, it's about our love for the sport. And I do believe that while most horse people love their horses, a lot of their actions actually show a greater love for the sport. 
whether or not that means they actually love the sport more or they've been conditioned to view things that way and believe that their horse also loves that and feels loved by that, I don't know. But a lot of people select the love for the sport above the love for their horse, which is why it's so common for people to try to pawn off their career-ending injured horses who are only companion-suitable onto other people so they can go buy a rideable horse for sport. And honestly, if we're looking at a case like that, if your horse no longer has value to you when you cannot ride them and you want to seek to find a horse that you can ride instead, then the fact of the matter is that the love of the sport is coming first because the relationship with that horse that you loved is not enough for you to want to continue having them in your life if you cannot ride them. And there's not necessarily things wrong with that if you can find them a good home, especially in cases where horses are still rideable, but maybe not for the upper levels of sport. But it's a big enough problem that we see horses being discarded because of this, and it's something that we need to start to address as an industry because it is not fair to horses. We need to do better by them. We can't just justify this flippancy of rehoming them when they're no longer usable for sport because the fact of the matter is, especially for horses that are not rideable, there are not enough homes willing to take these unrideable horses long term to justify doing this. So we really need to reevaluate the way we go about things. And we also need to consider whether or not our decisions speak for a love of our horse that is greater than our love for the sport. And if we can honestly start to do this, it's easier for us to hold ourselves accountable and also start to make decisions that actually reflect to our horse how we feel about them, rather than going about it in a human-centric way where we're making decisions that make us feel good and then just pretending that our horse also feels the same way. So, basically, we're all empowered and a bit able to do better, and the more you start to do better, I think the better you'll start to feel. Initially, it's very hard, but when you see the payoff of it and you see how it improves your mental health and your relationship with your horse, it's a lot easier to commit to it. The hardest part is that initial commitment to start doing things differently, even as other people in your close equestrian life push back against it and don't agree with it or believe in what you're doing. That's the hardest part, is committing to it even as other people fight against it, think that you're being silly, call you a tree hugger, call you a hippie, call you a, a clicker Karen or a treat trainer, etc. That's the hardest part, is going against the grain while you're being ridiculed for it and when you don't know what the outcome will be. But what I can promise you is the more you start to prioritize your horse's welfare, you will see a good outcome. I can guarantee it. If you improve their welfare, they're going to have improved ability to train, they're going to enjoy their time spent with you more, and you're going to have less behavioral problems. That is a fact. You just need to commit to putting the time into doing that and not be expecting immediate results. With management, with I can't talk. With management-based problems like lack of turnout, typically speaking, you'll see a big shift in your horse's behavior quite quickly when you adjust their living situation to be more suitable for them. But training can take time, especially because we make mistakes when we're not sure how to correctly apply training methods. So we need to commit to the process and just be involved enough to actually put the time needed in to see a big difference. And the more we can do that, the better outcome we'll have for ourselves and our horse. But what I can promise everyone is the best way to love your horse is by doing right by them. And sometimes that's not what is easiest for us. Oftentimes it's not, especially with what is normalized in the horse world. Doing right by our horse oftentimes means going against industry standards and having people get mad at you for it. Because the more people that do that, the more internalized guilt we're making other people who do not want to do the same thing feel. And that guilt leads them to try to ridicule and insult you to try to justify to themselves why they're continuing to go about the ways that they are, things the way that they are. 
it's a projection of how they feel internally rather than something to do with you. So when you get people doing that to you, keep that in mind. It's not actually a statement of you as an equestrian. It's a statement of them and how what you're doing makes them feel. And if they feel attacked by what you're doing when it's completely harmless and is about trying to do what is right and kindest to your horse, consider how weird that is and how flawed that is for them to do. We can do so much better, and we don't need to be participating in such things. We can do so much better, and we don't need to allow the views of people who refuse to change to alter how we go about doing things. So keep in mind that loving your horse doesn't mean you're infallible. You will still make mistakes even as you try to improve your horsemanship, but it is how you respond to the mistakes that matters the most. You can respond to them in a productive and healthy way, and you can do better by your horse by continuing to improve yourself and hold yourself accountable. Um, and the more you do that, the more your horse is going to thank you, the more difference you're going to bring to your horse's life. Bettering even one part of their day or bettering the time that they spend with you when they live in the moment full time means a lot to them. It doesn't have to be all the moments right away, but the more positive and happy moments you can bring your horse, they add up. And... It'll at least bring them some reprieve, even if they exist in other stressful moments. Like, for example, in situations where you don't own the horse, so you can't ultimately make the changes you may want to. Giving them peace, kindness, and understanding in those moments still means something, even if it's not perfect. So try to do the best you can in this situation that you're offered, because giving them kinder, happier, calmer, more relaxed moments matters. And we are fully capable of doing that. We can all do that, and even sometimes those moments might be small and fleeting initially, but it's better than doing nothing. And that's a promise and a guarantee we can offer to our horses to show our love for them. The most important way to show your horse love is in a way that they understand, not in a way that the industry frames as being the best way to do it. A fancy stall, a massage person, like massage is great for horses, but like that's if that's what they're getting is just a fancy box stall and like, high-end equipment and like a nice fancy blanket and fancy jump boots and getting lots of money spent on them that's not going to reflect them as loving if they still exist in an isolated environment where they're understimulated and don't get to hang out with friends it's not going to feel like love to them so what we need to consider is like are the, is the way we're showing our horses love actually going to feel that way to them or is it just our way of showing love in a way that's most convenient for us and Ask yourself that question and also start to question, hey, why would my horse like doing what I'm asking them to do? What incentive is there for them to like this thing? And if you cannot answer that question or if the answer doesn't really make sense, then that's a sign that you might want to change the way you go about things. Uh, so, yeah, don't beat yourself up. Just commit to the process and try to start doing as many little things as you can to better the life of your horse. And the more you can do that, the better off your horse is going to be. It, it'll be a really nice positive change for them the more you can commit to just doing right by them as much as possible. So please be mindful of that and, yeah, just do the best you can. So anyways... Thank you everyone for listening to the Making Milestones podcast. Don't forget to check the links down below in the description of this podcast if you're interested in supporting my work and supporting my journey to Paris and helping with my truck's survival. Um, you can check that all out at the links down below, patreon.com slash S-D-E-Q-U-U-S for tutorials and more. Shop Milestone Eck, that's shopmilestoneeq.com 
for apparel, bridles, and more. There's a big sale going on. Discounts auto applied at checkout. And then also my main website, milestoneequestrian.ca, if you're interested in reading my blog or accessing training webinars, training help, and more. It's all on there. And you can also get more information on me. And thank you so much, everyone, for listening. And I hope you enjoyed this podcast. Have a great day and best of luck in your horsemanship journey.